one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning and welcome to the program. I'm Rick Benson. With me is Zach Barletta, and this is the Beyond the Game program. Honored to have you with us this morning as we go through the hour giving you sports talk without the trash talk. Coming up on today's program, we can't not talk about what's going on in the NFL, right? But let me just say that while I will always stand for the flag so long as I am able I got to tell you, Zach, I got bigger problems to deal with than worrying about whether or not some high-priced athlete does. Mm-hmm. Heck, it seems like I was one of very few people who was bothered when the national anthem was no longer part of many regular everyday, you know, the baseball playoffs, obviously they do it, but regular everyday broadcasts, they had stopped. Are they broadcasting the national anthem currently? Average mid-season weekday Yankee broadcast. Are you getting the national anthem? I don't think so, and I don't think football games. Actually, really, the only one I could think of is hockey games where they play the anthems. Yeah, they cut away from that a long time ago because that was valuable commercial time, and nobody blinked. Many people didn't even notice that, but suddenly now these same people are the country's greatest patriot. We're, we're going to get into that a little later, hopefully for the last time. Plus, we're going to talk with an offensive line coach for a high school in California that has won numerous state championships. I have a number of questions for him I'd like to ask, including if he knows how to fix the problems for my 0-3 New York Giants. (laughs) You know, Zach, not only are regular listeners of this program unusually good-looking, but they're enormously talented and bright. Now, after, Absolutely. after saying that, it would seem like this is a good time to put out a request for pledges of financial support, right? You know, <laughs> butter them up. But they, they are so smart, in fact, that they're already familiar with that little tit for tat that the Yankees and the Red Sox got into a month or so ago where each accused the other of stealing signs during games. An investigation by Major League Baseball in the matter revealed that the Red Sox were, in fact, guilty and were penalized by the league. But they were unable to find any evidence that the Yankees had been involved in wrongdoing. But yet they penalized them as well because they did discover that back in 2009 or so, the league is pretty sure they did something wrong. So they (laughs) penalized the Yankees. That's about the extent of it. That was the bizarrest handling of that situation that I've ever heard. The Red Sox, you're guilty, so you're getting a fine. The Yankees... Well, you did something years ago. You know what it was, so you're getting a fine. There's probably something you didn't get caught for, so give us money anyways. So one can only imagine how the league will respond after a fan was ejected from Tuesday's night's game with the Tampa Bay Rays because he was shouting out pitch locations from his seat behind home plate during one of Gary Sanchez's at-bats. At the time of the offense, Sanchez was batting in the eighth inning. There was a full count on him when plate umpire Dan Bellino stopped play for about somewhere around a minute and a half, two minutes, went over to the backstop and asked that the security staff remove the fan. 
Both Gary Sanchez and Rays catcher Wilson Ramos said that the fan was yelling outside, outside in Spanish, and Ramos admitted that the fan was accurate. Now, you and I suggested after MLB's investigation into the Yankees and Red Sox that perhaps teams need to consider using better signs. Now, I realize that the Rays are simply playing out the stretch, but if fans, if fans are even stealing your signs, (laughs) then maybe you need to try a little harder. I would say so. Ramos was quoted by ESPN of saying after the game, that was not professional. If you come to the game, you're asked to enjoy the game. Everybody's supposed to see the ball and just react with pitches. So to me, it's like cheating. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Yankees manager Joe Girardi said the ejection was justified, as did Rays manager Kevin Cash, who commended the Yankees for their handling of such the situation, but not for nothing. Didn't the umpire more or less handle it? Yeah. Which, if, look, if it's the eighth inning of what was a four to one game at the time, and of course I can't be certain, but I have a good idea that the fan probably had enjoyed a few cocktails by this point. I would what, assume so. But did he have to be ejected? I think the Yankees would be glad to have somebody sitting in those seats. In fact, this is what really frosts my fanny. You know what frosts my fanny? You watch your language. Did that totally frost your fanny? Get off my lawn. Man, that'll frost your fanny. If your life had a face, I would punch it. That really frosts my fanny. Easy, compadre. Did I just frost your fanny? As a matter of fact, you did. It frosts my fanny when from the center field camera during Yankee games at the stadium, you see so many empty seats in that area behind home plate. Yeah, it looks really bad. It's a terrible look. And then the people that are sitting there... They're either sitting on their hands, you know, they're very quiet, or they're on their cell phone waving to somebody because they're on TV. Now, compare that with Fenway Park, where Sox fans are just packed into that area. They're loud. They're involved in the game. It must be so much more difficult on opposing hitters at Fenway than at Yankee Stadium, you know, with all the yelling at Boston and the racial slurs that are and such that are being thrown out. (laughs) Yeah. Just kidding, just kidding, relax. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Well, I think you're go. probably accurate. I have no idea what's getting yelled there, at down there, but I'm sure it's not always kind. I don't think Boston has a reputation for being kind to opposing players all the or time. Anyone. <laughs> or anyone. Or anyone. But I really, Zach, that's such a terrible look for the Yankees where nobody's sitting in those seats – but whatever. We all get caught in hyperbole at times, don't we? Mm-hmm. How old were you? And how many years had you seen the word hyperbole in something you've read or, or you saw it in an article and then you pronounced it hyperbole and wondered what the heck it means? Oh, I definitely said hyperbole a few times. Right? It was for years. I yeah. think I was probably around 45 when I realized <laughs> it wasn't hyperbole. And I had no idea what it means. You've done it. Said something like, if you're able to do this, that, I'll buy lunch. You know, man, I'd give anything I can. You know, if, if I can get through one show without having to pick up Zach Slack, I'd give up anything. You know, these <laughs> these types of sayings. What is it today with so many young people who use the word literally? You ever catch them doing that? I will literally die if she wears that oh. outfit one more time. I literally laughed my head off. You keep using the horse. I don't think it means what you think it means. (laughs) They keep using literally, and and it's not. That is literally the worst. (laughs) 
Not only is Carson Wentz young, but he found himself caught up in the excitement of a tight game last Sunday after his Eagles came back late to tie the Giants. And because the Giants are awful and are literally the worst team on the planet, <laughs> they gave the game away, giving the Eagles a chance to win it with a field goal. To so that start. was a good use because they are literally 0-3, the worst record in the league. Thanks for reminding me, Zach. No problem. So Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, is, is looking now at giving rookie kicker Jake Elliott his game day check, which reports say is $31,765 after he nailed an incredible 61-yard field goal to give the Eagles a 27-24 win, which, by the way, the longest field goal in Eagles history. It was amazing. Yeah, here's here's Carson Wentz on the sideline as Jake Elliott's getting ready to kick this field goal. This guy's a superhero if he makes this. A super I'll give him my paycheck. I'll give him my game check. He made it a bunch of times. He made it a bunch of times. I'll give him my game check. He makes it. Woo! Whoa! Caught in hyperbole, but yet he and Elliot have decided he is actually going to give the money, and the two of them together are going to donate it to a charity. So See, that's cool. It is, it is cool. Just kind of a fun thing there. If you're hearing our show for the first time, we welcome you in. Want to let you know that you can find out more about this radio ministry. Visit our website, btgprogram.com. We think we have a pretty good show for you coming up. Well, I do anyway. I guess I'm just speaking for Zach. I, I don't know. Zach, what do you think? We've got a good show coming up. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have an awesome show. You just kind of drag me along with you. <laughs> Come on back. You decide for yourself, along with the most well-bearded producer in all of faith-based sports talk radio. Literally. That being the great Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton presents a very special video event featuring pastor, international speaker, and author Dr. Paul David Tripp. On October 7th and 8th, First Bible will stream Paul David Tripp's Parenting Conference. Based on his award-winning and best-selling parenting book, Dr. Tripp will be speaking to moms and dads around the world. Dr. Tripp presents a big-picture view of God's plans for us as parents. Saturday, October 7th, Sunday, October 8th, from 2 to 5 both days at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton, New York. There is no cost to attend the event, but registration is required. Please register by visiting www.fbbc.info. That's fbbc.info. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bring it. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. You found America's favorite faith-based sports talk radio program, the Beyond the Game program, coming to you from Rochester, New York. Well, okay, though there are not many faith-based sports shows on the air, there are a couple around the country here and there. They might take exception to our claims of being America's favorite. 
But we kicked their butts, so whatever. I suppose they would also frown on me claiming to be America's best, as you just did. So <laughs> we'll settle with being the best to air on CBS Sports Radio in Rochester. How's that? That sounds good. Oh, wait. I guess Bryce Johnson has unpacking it airing on Sunday morning, so he might be offended even if we said that. So how about this? You found America's favorite faith-based sports talk radio program recorded in Rochester, New York, with two guys named Zach and Rick. That'll work, right? I think we could pretty safely say that. Bryce is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. He doesn't have two guys named Zach or Rick, but his show would be a lot better if he did. (laughs) It's hard to say practically anything, though, it seems, without offending somebody. And, of course, that is more hyperbole because I doubt most people really do get all that worked up about stuff. It's just that many of those who do get worked up, well, they make a lot of noise. And 100% of them are on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, it seems that way. Quite often, people unwittingly keep the narrative going with all their whining about it. For instance, how long ago was it now that Colin Kaepernick first sat through the national anthem? And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it just the one time that he sat? And after that, he began kneeling instead of either sitting or standing. I think it was just one time. It wasn't very often that he actually, that he actually sat. Now, my take then, and and it hasn't changed, we talked about this, is that I would prefer he stands. I definitely didn't like the sitting. I definitely Mm -hmm. didn't like that. But if he opted to kneel, whatever, whatever. Again, I wish he would stand. If he's not going to, that's up to him. But when folks continue to complain about it, as they have been, it just simply keeps his storyline going. He's got to be sitting there like, I'm having the last laugh here. Had people just said whatever they felt they needed to say and then moved on from it, well, then it probably we wouldn't be here still talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Because even if he were still playing, he'd be a backup quarterback somewhere, who a backup quarterback who kneels during the national anthem. Yawn. Who cares? Right. I remain convinced that he is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He just doesn't have that talent. He had some nice games. And he has some skill sets, no doubt about it. But once defenses saw enough film, they began to game plan. They took him out of his comfort zone. And he didn't have enough of those skill sets, other skills, to compensate for what they were doing. If you, you know, you can have your opinion. If you think he's being blacklisted, and and I guess to some degree he is, but that's a result of his own doing because. Teams don't want baggage as part of their backup player. They don't want baggage with their backup quarterback. If you're a top-level talent, if you're a, a, a starter who can have an impact on the game, I think teams have shown that they'll take on a little baggage. They've proven mm-hmm. that. And No, I don't think his protest is baggage. But I'll tell you what is. The media attention that comes with it, the circus that comes with it. Mm-hmm. We've I, seen it before with Tim Tebow in Patriots camp and Jets camp. We've seen it with Michael Sam with the Rams and the Cowboys. If you are not that Pro Bowl level player, teams just don't really have the motivation to deal with the circus that you're bringing into town with you. Again, I can't stress enough that it would be my preference that people stand. That's my preference. But they do have the right not to. Mm-hmm. I think that the president was out of line. President Trump was out of line to call them what he did. But 
It's not all that surprising. Were you shocked to hear him say such a thing? I certainly wasn't. That's who he is. He's bold. He's brash. He's working up the crowd there in Alabama. I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just saying I'm not really all that surprised. He was wrong for saying that. He should probably offer an apology. But he's not the only one saying foolish things. To all the people who, like Redskins' Josh Norman, say, He's not their president? Well, I got to tell you, he kind of is. I got breaking news for you. (laughs) He is your president. It was Norman who said, I'm telling you right now, this man is not welcome in Washington, D.C. I beg to differ. (laughs) He has a home there now. (laughs) But probably the most profound thing that Norman said, here's his quote. I hope he won't be around when I see him. <laughs> you sure that wasn't Yogi Perra that said that? I, I hope he won't be around when I see him. <laughs> I I love I, that. I, I got to tell you, he um, when you see him, he's probably going to be around. He's going to be around for sure. My stance since the, since since it happened was that I had no problem with the protests. I have no problem. I've just always thought it was misdirected. You want to protest, Mm -hmm. protest. Why during the national anthem? Yeah, I just think there's better ways to do it. In 2017, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's YouTube. You can, ESPN would love to have you on to talk about it. There's so many other avenues that you could use that don't involve the flag and the anthem and the United States, but Doing it that way gets you the most headlines. So that's how it's Well, you're exactly right. I know a significant part of the reason they do that is it gets noticed. And and I agree. What good is a protest if nobody notices or nobody reacts? Mm -hmm. But what I've not heard anyone ask and what I don't completely understand is this. We live in this age of ultra-sensitivity. We all know that. It's very common to hear somebody apologize because of something they said which somebody took offense to. It's also very common that people, school districts, businesses are very careful in the wording of their uh, policies and their their rules that they not offend somebody. So why haven't those people who are kneeling? I mean, it's obvious they're offending somebody, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty obvious based on the reaction that people are offended. Absolutely. How they could have made this a slam dunk issue, it, it, it would have been a mic drop. Come out and say that you apologize. Look, I'm, a, I'm sorry for offending people here. Uh, you know, that was not our intention. And uh, we admit that, look, the protest is not against the military. It's not against the flag. But because it is offending some people, we acknowledge that doing it during the anthem was wrong. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand with our fists in the air. We're going to stand arms locked together. We're going to stand on our heads, whatever it is you want to do. And I think if you did that, you might find that many people agree with you because nobody in their right mind is really on board for social inequality, social injustice. I I think most decent people want equality. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they buy into... What you're saying, they support you. They may not agree with everything, but what they don't like is you doing it, darn it. Find another way to do it. Yeah, I think it's a great message with a poor delivery is really what we're looking at. That's not to say that people will start apologizing for being white. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that white people will start giving their homes or jobs away to minorities like some have suggested. And to Greg Popovich, who says that white people – 
don't even understand what it means to be white. What a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. I read those quotes and it was infuriating because they're so stupid. Talk about pandering to the crowd. Mm -hmm. He was doing the same thing that President Trump was doing. Why don't, Greg Popovich, why don't you start? Why don't you be the first one to resign and give your job to a minority? It's not going to happen. There, Look, there are plenty of white people who struggle, plenty of white people who are disadvantaged. People have to stop being so critical of other races, other genders, other people in general with such broad strokes. I find that individuals are just that. They are individual in each case is unique. I've never thought of myself as a racist, but I'll tell you this. Zach, I'm a classist. If you are a lazy person who only takes from others, if you show little or no respect for other people, you're mean, you're selfish, you're cruel, well, then you're low class in my book. Mm -hmm. If you are, that's regardless of your skin color. However, if you're respectful, if you're a caring person, then I think you're a high class person. And people, I can't say it enough. I prefer they stand. I prefer they stand, hats off, hand on their heart. But to be honest, the kneeling doesn't bother me all that much. Maybe it's due to being raised in a church, you know, being saved at a young age. To me, kneeling sort of has a reverence to it. Mm-hmm. So when I see them kneeling there, um, doesn't really bother me that much. It's as if they're they're kneeling before the flag as one would their king. It doesn't bother me. Of all the sins... Of all the problems that these folks engage in regularly, and I'm not saying all of them, I'm not painting the broad stroke. I got to tell you, kneeling for the national anthem is really low on my list of offenses. Mm -hmm. Much higher are things like Rob Gronkowski when he celebrates the partying lifestyle, portrays debauchery, promotes uh, this image of womanizing, and people are celebrating that and they're laughing at that. Higher on the offensive scale to me is pulling down a woman's blouse in public, and yet fans want their running back. Mm-hmm. These things are more offensive to me than kneeling yeah. during the national Domestic anthem. violence, drug abuse, DWIs, all those things. There are lots of players in the NFL that have done all of those things, and nobody protested that. There's people in every stage of life who are doing it. What bothers me is the hypocrisy of so many who are whining about athletes kneeling during the national anthem. Where's the outrage over fewer and fewer school children who are being asked to stand for the pledge? Fewer schools are reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Where's the outrage over that? Where do you think a reference for our flag starts? Starts in the schools. They're not being taught that. In fact, some of that's the fault of you at home. If you're not teaching that, if you're relying on somebody else to teach your kid a reverence for the flag, then shame on you. And by the way, I see you at sporting events. I see you on your cell phone. I see you standing there sipping your beer, talking away during the national anthem, and yet you're going to get excited because a football player is kneeling. Mm-hmm. I tell you, the Bible never says, do not judge. Like so many people tend to pretend that it does. It doesn't mm-hmm. say do not judge. What it does say is be careful because in the same way you are judge, you judge, You're going to be judged. Here's Matthew chapter 7. I want to read the first five verses. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, The log is in your eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to the speck of your brother's eye. I get enough issues of my own. I don't need to be worrying about somebody else's. There will come a time, the Bible says, when every knee is going to bow. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 to 13 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man putting a, put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I would agree that protesting during the anthem is disrespecting the flag. I do. I think it is. I think they should find another way, as you said, to make their protest. But I'll be honest with you. Like I said, I've got my own situations. I can say I don't like it, but I'm not going to be spending my time talking about it on a radio show. Oh, wait a minute. I guess we are. (laughs) But hopefully this is the last time. But I'm not going to be whining about it on social media. I tell you what, my Facebook posts, my 140 character tweets are not changing anybody's opinion. Nobody's going to say, oh, Rick Benson doesn't like it. Or, oh, insert your name. It says that protesting is bad. So uh, I guess it's, he, they're right. Nobody's going to change your mind. When you stand before God to be judged, though, it won't matter that you stood for the national anthem. What will matter is the decision that you made about Jesus. If you're standing for the anthem, good for you. But if you're standing there, meanwhile, you're not caring or doing anything about the fact that people are going to hell because nobody told them about Jesus, well, then you're missing the point. There are more important things than the anthem. It's nice that you care so strongly and you respect the flag. But what about your respect for the coming king? who died on the cross to save you from your sins. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says in 1 John 1.8 that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what are you going to do about your sin? Romans 6.23 confirms the consequence of sin, but it also announces the hope that is in Jesus. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The consequence of choosing not to seek God's forgiveness is spending eternity in hell. But God allows us to make that choice. We can accept his plan of salvation, which is involves repenting and seeking forgiveness, or we can try to do it on our own. But unfortunately, they'll ultimately find that you can't do it on your own. No matter how many anthems you stand for, no matter how many old ladies you help across the street, uh, no matter how many good things you do, those are good things, but... They're not going to get you to heaven. They're not going to pay uh, the debt of your sin. God has a plan because he loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that life, that excuse me, that love was displayed when Jesus died for you, even though he died for you, even though you're you're a sinner. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you. He wants you to call to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1.9 says. Romans 10.9 and 10, here's how, here's how it all goes down, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
The Bible says that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, ask God today to forgive you. Pray to him. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Admit your guilt and ask him to forgive you. Start a new life, and instead of fighting God's authority, seek after righteousness, repent from sins, desire to draw closer to God. If you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus, please visit our website, btgprogram.com. We have it spelled out for you there, which we think is pretty clear and easily understood. You can also email me here at the show, hosts at btgprogram.com. Even if you just want us to pray for you as you consider these things, we'd love to do that. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Time now for the Red Hawks Report for this week, September 30th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The Red Hawks men's soccer team racked up four goals en route to a convincing 4-1 win over the University of Pittsburgh Johnstown on Wednesday night. Four different Red Hawks finding the back of the net, including freshman Marco Matreski from Churchville Chilai High School here locally. He also had five shots on goal. The women's soccer team fell to 1-7-1 overall, losing to the 25th-ranked Gannon University on Wednesday 3-zip, the loss marking the fourth straight shutout loss for the women and fifth straight loss overall for the Red Hawks. In volleyball, the ladies broke into the win column for the first time this season when they defeated Mercy College at home last Saturday in front of a homecoming crowd with a 3-0 straight-set victory. Junior Christina Button had a team-high 11 kills and 3 blocks. Senior Elizabeth Rivera recording 5 aces and 20 assists. And freshman Grace Stetweiler had 15 digs. The ladies were then back at it again on Wednesday, this time falling to Damon College 3-0. In other action, in the unseasonably warm weather of last weekend, the men's cross-country team came in second at the Harry F. Anderson Invitational, finishing just 7 points behind the first place Gannon University. The Red Hawks placed three runners in the top five, sophomore Josiah Adelini coming in second overall, finishing just ahead of junior Justin Schaefer and fellow sophomore Christopher Sims. They came in fourth and fifth, respectfully. And senior Emily Betts led the Roberts women to a first-place finish at the Invitational. She placed third overall individually. Come on out to the Roberts Wesleyan campus and catch the men's soccer team in action this coming Wednesday, that's October 4th, as they host Damon College at 7.30. They'll also be in action next Saturday, October 7th, as part of a doubleheader with the women's team, as both teams welcome in St. Thomas Aquinas College. Game time for the ladies next Saturday is 1 p.m. The men will follow at 3.30. The only other home match for Red Hawks athletics teams this week is the women's tennis team hosting LeMoyne College this Thursday afternoon, October 5th, that is at 4 p.m. For more information on Roberts Wesleyan Athletics, including scores, highlights, more, visit their website, robertsredhawks.com. That's robertsredhawks.com. And you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, President of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA National Championship appearances, and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
Thanks so much for being part of the Beyond the Game program this morning. We're glad to have you along. Our next guest is more than likely nobody you've ever heard of. And I only know of him because he's a friend of a friend of mine, and my friend connected us together. Uh, when I first talked to this man, I just got a sense of his passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, the passion he had for seeing the hearts of men impacted for the gospel. I knew after that conversation, I wanted our listeners to get it, just a little insight to that passion, get to know him, get to hear some of that. He's an offensive line coach. We all know how anonymous those guys are anyway, but he's part of a high school team in California, which has won multiple state titles. Rick Wilson joins us now in the BTG studio line. Rick, thanks so much for calling in. What what a pleasure uh, it is, and thank you very much for having me. How many state titles is it now for Truckee? There are 12 titles and three runner-up for state titles. Uh, There were 17 league championships in a row, and we ran a 41-game win streak from 09 to 12, so... Yeah, not bad for a 3A school, I guess, small one. Wow. Here's here's what I've noticed about offensive line in football. Nobody okay. cares. Nobody cares unless you're really good or unless you're really bad. If you're really good, then they, they notice because nobody's getting to the quarterback. And, of course, if they're bad, it seems like everybody does. And I'm asking you this question because I'm a fan of the New York Giants, and their line play has been the latter. They, they've played very poorly in the early part of the NFL season. You're an offensive line coach. How would you go about fixing that? And, and are you able to game plan to overcome a weak line so the offense can have a chance to move the ball? You know, I, I thought about that as you were, you were asking it. And um, to be frank with you, um, you really have to be pretty objective as an O-line coach. You have to be willing to look at the things that nobody else is looking for, especially if you start to see uh, some of the guys that um, have worked their tails off and and um, have overcome those other twos and threes, and they're getting all the reps. And all of a sudden, you know what? They they have a sense of relaxing them, and then next thing you know, they're starting to ease off in responsibilities. Um, I think you have to identify what's wrong, right? And you have to be very honest with your estimation of what guys are doing. I think what you're seeing, at least on the high school level, is there's many programs out there, Rick, that are that are implementing and trying to do things that other schools are doing rather than focusing on their own strengths. Let's take, for example, uh, a zone concept offense. You have to have some pretty fast backs in order to read those cutbacks. And the scheme of that zone blocking is pretty simple, but but it takes pretty big guys to do it. So if you're a school that doesn't um, have those types of players, then you better be willing to adjust and change early the scheme. You have to adjust. You have to have kids that are willing to adjust. High school, it's easy. Uh, college gets a little bit more um, business-like, and then unfortunately in the pros, it becomes straight business. And those guys uh, are required to come to camp in shape, be a professional, open their toolbox, use their tools, and I'm just not so sure that's what we're seeing in today's world. I think a lot of those guys after contract are just uh, taking reps off. Mm. There's a lot of attention on head injuries, of course. And at the high school level, parents are involved in the decision-making of whether a young man plays or, or doesn't play. What do you say to a parent? What do you say to a player who may be on the fence about participating because they're concerned about injuries? I think the issue with head injuries is um, – just recently, I was speaking with some older guys, and we were kind of laughing it off. How many times do those older guys um, get rung up? <laughs> How many times were you swinging on that 
uh, fence or something, you fell off and hit the back side of your head. How many times did a on-deck circle and a bat hit you in the forehead? I mean, skateboards, all these things. And we basically, in that era, were told to shake it off, and you did, and you went and played. So I'm not trying to minimize the reality of head issues, but I'm trying to maximize the attention that we need to pay attention to. And I think fear is a marketable thing, Rick. And I think, unfortunately, uh, a lot of marketers are using fear uh, against the consumer. And what has it done? It's made struggling programs across the country have to buy better equipment, uh, upgrade to these helmets. Um, and then, of course, we're in a dilemma in our country. We're in a divorced society. We have single moms raising kids, and they're they're fearful. So we have to do a better job informing them. We have to do a better job educating them. We have to, to have them instill in us and us and them a trust that we have the best intentions for their kid. And I think that um, we're very fortunate where we are. Uh, we've set up some protocol testing so that a young person, when they choose the sport that they're going to participate in, they take a straight line test. And then through the course of that duration of that sport that year, if something were to happen, they are uh, taken back and taken the test again. And so it becomes more quantitative than it becomes subjective. And I think, um, you know, parents are starting to at least listen. We don't, we don't have a lot of issues because we live in a mountain town. And these same kids that are playing football are downhill ski racers that are going 100 miles an hour. So <laughs> if they have a problem with football, then why don't they have a problem with 100 miles an hour on skis? Makes sense. <laughs> so it's kind of an open debate. But, um, yeah, I think the, the way to, to deal with it is just to encourage them and show them that uh, in X amount of years of coaching, I had one severe concussion. Other than that, uh, not so much. We're talking with Rick Wilson here on the Beyond the Game program. Rick's part of a coaching staff at Truckee High School in California, winning a multiple state title football program. Obviously, protesting during the national anthem, it's a hotly contested issue. People have been talking about it all week and for months, really. I would imagine that it's been discussed by players and maybe even considered at your school. How has the staff addressed that with your team? You know, um, specifically the issue of the flag um, hasn't been an issue for us because I think the purpose of our program, and that's what it becomes a program, its emphasis is on faith and family and football. And when you're emphasizing things, uh, a part of the game that's going to teach you life skills, uh, kids follow their coaches, right? Most coaches tend to gravitate to being a player's coach rather than coaching players. And the difference is if you're going to joke and have fun and be that guy's friend and not willing to set standards, then it's going to create some chaos. But if you're willing to coach a player and instill in him uh, responsibilities and conduct and, you know, our football game is a privilege to play. It's not a, it's not a mandated thing that you have to do it. So as a privilege, then you need to treat it as such because privileges can be lost very easily. So the classroom, the grades, you know, making young men using the metaphor of football for life's challenges is, is where I think coaches need to take a step back and reflect. The issue of the uh, flag and things of that nature and the allegiance to our country um, is a precious thing to me, a veteran family. Uh, so people with passions for the vets have an inclination to be more passionate toward what it stands for. But across the board, our young men are just listening to bad information, I think, and we coaches have to do a better job of what we instill in these guys. 
Okay, I feel like I've hit you with a couple of tough issues with, you know, head injuries, the anthem, these sorts of things. So let me ask you something a bit lighter. Heading into the season, there was a lot of talk about the Oakland Raiders going deep into the playoffs and maybe even reaching the Super Bowl. But after being handled, I mean, really handled, it seemed like, by the Washington Redskins the other night, considering how the Kansas City Chiefs are looking, are are the Raiders a legitimate title contender in your opinion? (laughs) I don't know if I'm qualified, but... I think it's too early to speculate. There is so much parity in the NFL from my standpoint. I think any team can beat another team on any given day. But in order to be the best, you have to play against the best and be the best and beat them. And I think KC is playing great ball right now, and I don't think uh, Oakland could live on, the, on uh, their laurels of last year. There seemed to be a lot more issues with Oakland as I watched. Uh, and even though I'm not really a fan of the Oakland Raiders, uh, I like to watch the games, and I'm looking at those little things as O-line coaches do. And there just seemed to be a lot of plays that were taken off. I don't know if it had to do with the issue of protest, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, but there's some disharmony going on in that clubhouse, and I, I think it's playing out. So I think the teams that stay focused the longest will do well. Um, I just, uh, again, I don't, I don't see them, I don't see them doing very well this year. You know, if they're a 500 club, that'll be good. Let's focus on ministry for a few moments because God has given you a special heart for men. It's apparent. And we all know that every soul is precious to the Lord, of course. But in your words, why is it so important to reach men with the gospel specifically? You know, I I came across a statistic not long ago, and um, it kind of broke my heart. And it was that 80% of our Christian kids that leave and go to college don't come out of college Christians. They walk away from their faith. And I, I have my own, uh, you know, answers, but I'm thinking in my heart, hey, where, where's the dad? Where's the spiritual leader of his home? Hopefully he said no when he should have. And, and, and why didn't he discipline a little bit more? And why didn't he give those hugs and love more? And, and why aren't we preparing our kids for, for life, the life of persecution? And, and are we teaching our kids that, you know, life is about competition in essence in a lot of ways in the business world. So as I began to think about this, we, we got to a place as a church as a whole, and I've been involved with the church almost 40 years now. I was raised outside the church, so as I look at her, and I look at it as an organism rather than an organization, um, uh, dads, um, young men, men, older men, um, I have lost the perspective, I think, if I could say it blatantly. We, if we've, we've leaned on others to go disciple. We've leaned on others to go do the work that God has empowered each one of us men to do. Uh, I'm in passion for men to gain a knowledge of who they are in Christ. Because once a man knows who he is in Christ, uh, he's empowered. He's empowered in his finances and his life and his relationships. There's more purpose. There's more power in it. And I just think that that's one of my uh, purposes is to equip men to go back out and armor up and, and go out there and find those prodigal brothers that are lost. You've been involved in many ministries over the years, including prison ministries, even serving on the mission field. Where does God have you currently? Great question. Um, I just finished up doing some things with some gangs. I was a gang chaplain, and I, as you alluded to, I, I've had opportunity to get into some of the prisons out here on radio and broadcast some uh, some messages to those guys, and, and the responses were awesome. Currently, Rick, I, I believe the Lord is, is pressing a call on my heart to 
be open to go and to minister into these uh, different uh, programs with kids and churches and and uh, parachurch organizations across our country to remind them of Revelation chapter 3, that we are in that church of the last days in the church of Laodicea. Um, I'm encouraged to go speak to those who have addictions, and and I find Ezekiel 37 is reflective of a valley of dry bones, and it, it seems to me uh, that we are a country walking dead. We, we've lost sight of the power of what uh, Christ can do in an individual's life, and uh, the more we confront it, the more that uh, the world opposes us, uh, the more I'm empowered and passionate to to go and, and spread this gospel and and uh, uh, to teach people how to mentor, to to get men, those beautiful blue collar guys that sit in everybody's churches that are so talented, but yet they don't see themselves as being used of God, and and so that's my passion to get those guys out of the seats and uh, let their hearts bleed once again for Christ. I know at times it seems that. God has a sense of humor, especially towards any plans we may try to make. But if you were writing the script, and certainly you're in prayer asking God to lead and direct you, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years in terms of ministry? You know, I just finished reading. Um, I, I'm an avid, voracious reader. Live the Bible, but read books, as it were. And I just finished uh, Andrew Murray's book on um, the school of obedience, I could summarize Christianity in two words, time and obedience. Time belongs to God. He, he rings our phone. He, he knocks on our heart. He commissions us to go. But we always have that free will choice to respond. And in 10 years, I hope that um, the old Rick has died more and that this this uh, a new creation that, that God placed in me through the power of Jesus Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in me, uh, is walking a more obedient life. That that would be the best script I could I could write. That I I finished well. That souls were one for Christ as a result of discipleship. You mentioned earlier that you were raised outside the church. How old were you, Rick, when you first came to know Jesus as your Savior? And and can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, a little bit. Um, probably the same stories a lot of people have. I mean, I was raised in a godless home by an alcoholic that was very severe and and mentally abusive and physically abusive and and uh, horrible towards my mother. My gracious little mom taught me that little simple prayer of, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Jeez, I never knew it was so, <laughs> so deep and heady. But at the time, as a young child, that's what I had. And so my knowledge of God was through my mom's simple little prayer. And we happened to go to a church one time and my little heart responded to a gospel call, and I surrendered my heart to Jesus. But unfortunately, Rick, um, nobody watered those seeds. Nobody uh, allowed that little guy to flourish, and so I went the other way. Um, I did a lot of shameful things as a young guy. And I wound up incarcerated for a time, and broken, and self-hatred, and just ashamed of what I had become. And God intervened in my life, to be frank with you, and I told him, if you could love a person like me, then I'll be willing to love others that are like me. God changed my heart along the way, and it's been a great testimony of transformation of how the Holy Spirit takes a broken life and makes it whole. How can we pray for you specifically? Um, I would just ask and, and covet those who may be listening and yourselves and others around me that um, 
that I would I would be willing again just to respond to what God has for me and pass through the open doors that He opens. Uh, we're going to try and get to get and do some um, YouTube ministry, and I'm this year trying to get all those things lined up. But I'm such a dinosaur, I, I struggle a lot in that area, those areas. But um, just yeah, come with the prayers that, that God would open the right doors for me, and that I'd be willing to walk through them as He opens them. That'd be great. Well, we'll certainly do that. Rick, I want to thank you for coming on the program and sharing a little bit of your passion for us and sharing how you came to know Christ as your Savior. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, and I hope your day is blessed. Thanks, my friend. Take care. That was Rick Wilson joining us on the BTG Studio line, high school football coach, friend of an old friend of mine, now my friend as well. He's been part of several state championship title teams. What do you say, 12? Oh, my goodness. And, and a number more runner-up. Most importantly, he's a man who loves Jesus. We'll be back with more sports talk. Without the trash talk, you're listening to the Beyond the Game program. It's so important in the press of everyday life, in the busyness of everyday parenting, to keep the big picture in view. And here's the big picture. What in life could be more important than to be one of God's tools for the forming of a human soul? First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton presents a very special video event featuring pastor, international speaker, and author, Dr. Paul David Tripp. On October 7th and 8th, First Bible will stream Paul David Tripp's parenting conference. Based on his award-winning and best-selling parenting book, Dr. Tripp will be speaking to moms and dads around the world. This encouraging and refreshing event will offer much more than a to-do list. Instead, Dr. Tripp presents a big-picture view of God's plans for us as parents. God has placed you on site as a parent to form the most significant thoughts and desires and choices in the heart and life of a child, to help a child get to know God's world and what it's all about. Saturday, October 7th, Sunday, October 8th, from 2 to 5, both days at First Bible Baptist Church in Hilton, New York. There is no cost to attend the event, but registration is required. Please register by visiting www.fbbc.info. That's fbbc.info. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with faith. Beyond the Game programs recorded in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. You can find us on the internet, btgprogram.com, or on social media, at btgprogram. I just want to tell you about this. Grace Baptist Church in Brockport, New York, if you're listening to us on CBS Sports Radio in Rochester, they've got their marriage conference coming up October 13th, 14th, and 15th. Our good friend Don Gordon, Zach, we're going to have to get him on the program at some point before mm-hmm. he comes up. He'll be up, former Cleveland Indian pitcher, played for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Detroit Tigers, a couple organizations, the Brewers. Anyway, he'll be at Grace Baptist Church for their marriage conference, 5220 Lake Road South. Give the church a call, 585-637-2420. I'm trying to read my handwriting. That might be 2470. Well, if 2420 doesn't work, <laughs> try 2470. Zach, we're running out of time. Let's go right into shenanigans. What do you got for us? Number one, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald had a monster game against the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Truth or shenanigans, Fitz is one of the top five wide receivers of all time. 
close, but I say shenanigans. I'm a big fan. If you had said over the last 10 years, if you had said over the span of a career, I'm with you. But so many great receivers. No, I don't think he's top five. I do. I have him at number five. So right on the border. But um, I had Rice, Moss, Owens, Harrison, Fitzgerald as my top five. I think um, he maybe has not been as dominant as some of those bigger guys, but He's got the catches, he's got the touchdowns, he's got the yardage. He's uh, I I think he's just barely in my top five. Yeah, you, you said you had Marvin Harrison? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I, I got James Lofton and Michael Irvin too. I, those yeah. are two guys that I really... It was tough for me because a lot of those guys from a generation or two ago, the offenses weren't as pass-heavy. And so they don't have the counting stats that some of the more recent guys do, but they may have been more talented receivers. Number two, legendary football commentator Brent Musburger recently attempted to, quote, stop the hype train about Tony Romo's debut in the CBS NFL broadcast booth. Truth or shenanigans, Musburger's right. Romo needs to tone it down a little during games. What do you think? I say shenanigans. I have not watched a full game that Romo has called, but I've seen several of the highlights, notably the ones that are going around on the internet where he predicts the play before it happens, and it's great. I love it. Fans love it. I think it's fantastic. I think he's a better announcer than he was even a quarterback. I say shenanigans as well. I heard him for the first time this past week working the Packers-Bengals game. I I thought he was great. He did talk a lot. It might get old after a while, Mm -hmm. but his insight was great. When when he was predicting some of these plays, he says, here's what's going to happen. And Jim Nance asks him how he knows that. And then he says, he gives the explanation. Well, here's how the defense is all. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was terrific. That stuff's fascinating. I can't get enough of that. Mm -hmm. But he does talk a lot. And I think it's probably like developing chemistry with a receiver. You know, as he goes on, he'll develop more chemistry with Nance. He'll learn when to talk, when to stop talking. I think he'll only get better from here. Number three, after he mimicked a dog urinating on the field, you now view Odell Beckham Jr. differently than you did before. This is tough, Zach. I was a bit, as a Giants fan, we had the most exciting player in football on our team. Let's trade him. The guy, when you're <laughs> acting like a dog urinate, how classless. The thing that bothered me most about that whole thing was he was unremorseful about the penalty. He met with the Giants owner, John Mara, this week and came out and said he embarrassed himself, but never said anything. He, said he didn't think he embarrassed the club. This guy's all about himself. It's look at me, look at, no, I, yeah, I view him different. I agree. I say shenanigans. I don't view him any differently because than you never I did liked before him in the first because place. I've always thought he was a jerk and I've always thought he was well, a clown. So it, to me, it's just more of the same. It turns so out you I say were shenanigans. Right. Last but not least, Yankees rookie slugger Aaron Judge, who's a favorite of this program, you may have noticed, has put himself back into the upper tier of MVP candidates with his red hot September. What do you think? I think absolutely he has. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I know I've been on the bandwagon for him all year, but he's first in homers, runs, and walks. He's second in RBI slugging, on-base percentage, and, of course, on-base plus slugging. The main favorite other than him is Jose Altuve. He only trails Altuve in average hits and steals. The Astros would be in the playoffs without Altuve, but I don't think the Yankees would be without Judge, so Judge is my MVP. I, I agree. You gave my answer exactly. Even the thing about would the Astros make the playoffs without him? I, probably, but... It's not a certain. The Yankees are no way making the playoffs without Aaron Judge. And we are in no way biased at all. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5, verses 11 to 13 says, Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace 
with one another. Many people can relate to the pain of having let someone down who they care deeply about. There are times that when the most impactful and maybe the most corrective forms of punishment is to know that you cause someone you love to be disappointed. In an article this past week, ESPN's Jamil Hill described just such an experience with having let her late grandmother down some years ago. She also described the difficulty of letting down her boss, ESPN President John Skipper, as well as her colleagues with tweets that were critical of President Donald Trump, which resulted in the network dealing with just a ton of negative backlash, a ton of criticism aimed at its perceived political leanings and agenda. Putting aside whether criticism is justified or if those perceptions are accurate, Hill wrote from her heart in acknowledging that social media, it is not the place for a complex discussion or simply to vent frustrations. Though many people do just that, it's foolish It's short-sighted, and it's ineffective. Now, this wasn't really an apology, I don't think. Hill still emphasized the difficulty of being a woman, being a person of color. She continued her narrative of racism, white supremacy, marginalized people feeling threatened and and vulnerable, and even included herself in that count. She and I don't come from the same background, share the same perspectives, or come to the same conclusions, it seems, But we do agree on this. Social media is not the forum for complex discussions. It's a terrible place to whine about what frustrates you. For all you trollers, haters, race baiters who live in the comment sections and probably still live in your parents' basements, you are part (laughs) of the problem. You are not any useful part of making things better. I may not always agree with what she says, but in her article, she gave me an insight to her heart, Zach, and shared a valuable lesson she learned from her grandmother, and that's be better no matter what. I can get down with that. It's not only... Jamil Hill's honesty and taking accountability for poor usage of social media and the trouble it has caused her employer in other sense, but it's also her desire and imploring of others to be better no matter what, something we can all strive for every day. That's what I like this week. What I like this week was Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban loaning the team's jet to player J.J. Berea so that he could fly supplies to Puerto Rico and bring his family back to the continental United States. We've all seen the destruction and devastation that Puerto Rico has gone through after the hurricane that passed through. Seeing somebody uh, like Mark Cuban loan the team jet to a player to help is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? This has been the Beyond the Game program. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you to Rick Wilson for calling in today. Thank you, Zach, for all you do. And thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you've been encouraged by something you've heard over this last hour. I hope that God will use it to draw you closer to him. Stop by our website, btgprogram.com. Not only can you find out more information about the program, you can listen to past broadcasts, but you can find out more about what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ and knowing him as your Savior. And for those of you who may feel so led, you can also make a donation to our radio ministry at our website. And by the way, we could use your support as we head into the last quarter of this year. It takes money to be able to put this program on the air so that we can present the gospel to listeners all around the world through Sports Talk Radio. We're needful. We're grateful of your support. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold. It'd be great this week, everybody. Bye.